This is Channel 253. In this episode of Interchangeable White Ladies. Being able to access the things that you actually need to take care of your sexual and reproductive health. To me, that's a, a big aspect of justice. And I think we can't get to that point unless we're learning mm-hmm. about what th- these things actually mean, right? So um, what does it mm-hmm. actually mean to um, have someone get pregnant? What does it actually mean for that person to make the choice whether they want to keep that pregnancy or not? Like we can't get to the point where we can access and everybody has the type of healthcare that they want until we learn about it first. Channel 253 is supported by Microsoft. Microsoft is committed to civic conversations like those on Channel 253 that inform and empower Washington communities. To learn more, visit aka.ms slash Microsoft in Washington. One, two, two, interchangeable. White ladies! Welcome to the Interchangeable White Ladies Podcast. I'm Hope. I'm Megan. So for today's essential question, what is the importance of sex education in both the U.S. and abroad? And how can you ensure equity for all students in the curriculum delivered? Today, we are excited to invite um, to the show our second, well, actually, this is technically our third episode with an international educator. Mm-hmm. We have with us Emily Zion. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So Emily is a health and physical education teacher specializing in sex education. She's originally from the United States. Emily has taught overseas in Qatar, Singapore, and is now based in Italy. Emily's hope is to be remembered by her students as someone that made them feel empowered to make decisions and take care of their health and well-being. Prior to starting her teaching career, Emily worked in reproductive and sexual health care, assisting medically pr- medical providers in service delivery and delivering patient education. education. She also has a master's in education, specializing in curriculum instruction and assessment all the things Ooh. emily welcome again to <laughs> welcome, the show. We're so welcome. Excited. have you joined thank us thank you yay <laughs> thanks for having me so, one of my favorite we... things to talk about so <laughs> oh yeah so excited for the conversation <laughs> before we fully jump into um our questions beyond mm-hmm. that bio what else should listeners know about you your values perspective or your biases that shape the conversation today oof That's great. Um, I definitely believe in um, the education that people should receive. Like that's, I'm a teacher because I want people to have the tools to make their own decisions. Um, But it comes more into like, I believe that people should be able to live as them true self, as their true self. So the idea of um, what we're going to be talking about today, just framing it around the fact that like everyone's unique experience as a human is really valued and important. Um, so shouldn't the education that we're providing for students, whether it's in the U.S. context or international, shouldn't that reflect everyone's unique experiences as humans? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. So you mentioned or in our bio, it was mentioned that you taught in the U.S. for a little while and then you moved abroad. Mm-hmm. Can you lead yeah. us through that um, journey a little bit? Kind of what oh, were you sure. there and then what brought you abroad? Yeah, I actually was not a teacher. Um, I worked at um, in reproductive health, and so it was just within a health center that I was I was working. But it was um, yeah everything from um, pregnancy tests and options counseling to HIV testing, um, full gamut of sexual health services that I witnessed firsthand. And so, um, becoming a health and education health education and PE teacher, um, I I saw adults. I saw adults mm. and the lack of knowledge they had about their mm. own bodies, okay. specifically around their reproductive and their sexual health. The the types of things that you would um, deliver to to people that were of of adult age um, that just you know makes you think like where why are they not learning this earlier? Mm. Why why are they learning this in the time that they're learning it? And isn't there a better way that we can provide this like preventative education or, or um, support to people? So I, I met my now teaching spouse husband and was like, wow, this international teaching thing sounds great. Um, and so we kind of just like jumped, jumped into the deep end in that. So my first job teaching was actually overseas. Um, 
And that's when I got my master's and teaching lessons and all that kind of stuff. Um, and it started with PE and then I landed in um, a school in Singapore and they had a, a really phenomenal safeguarding policy that included the need for sex education um, in the school. Um, and so I helped sort of develop that, that program. There was somebody that had put it on, it, put the foundation in place and then I was able to build from there. Um, but it was, it was pretty cool to see because a lot of what's happening in the international education world uh, when in regard to relationships and sex ed is actually based on child safeguarding. Uh, and what we need to do as international educators to ensure that our kind of transient population of both teachers and students is really safe. Um, so that it was a really great experience for me to, to put that in place. Um, now, even at my school that I'm at currently, um, helping just sort of uh, start and maybe do a better job of meeting the needs of students learning about their their health and their sexual health and um, but that's very kind of slow motion right now with this program mm -hmm. which is mm -hmm. is going to be the case in a lot of schools right you kind of have mm -hmm. to implement this slowly with parental involvement and sort of mm -hmm. like build it and scaffold it and it takes a few years to get it off the ground mm -hmm. so yeah mm -hmm. that's my journey <laughs> uh thank you well that kind of leads me to um you kind of hinted at it a little bit when you think about the landscape right now when it comes mm -hmm. to um, sex <clears throat> education and kind of what is going on um, in, in health in general, uh, how would you describe it? And if you can contrast it with the U.S., just because a lot of our listeners are in the U.S., but if, you yeah. you know, of course, framing it, you know, what does it look like in an international context? What's unique there? Yeah, I think uh, it's a great way to do like to talk about it international and then go to the U.S. So, um, you know, again, it's, it's a it's a safeguarding issue. It's a child safeguarding issue. And a lot of the current um, sort of reality with child safeguarding, child protection in international schools is really um, from like 2014, 2015. So it was really a pretty prolific um, case of a, a teacher that worked in a couple different places for a pretty long career as an international educator who was um, like sexually abusing students. And so after that happened, there was a really big investigation and these like international task force uh, sort of determined different aspects of, of child safeguarding. Some of it is recruiting, some of it is um, like policies and, and, and tracking for overseas trips when you take students you know, to a different, to a school trip of any sort. Mm -hmm. And a big part of it was curriculum. So what are we teaching students about um, proper names for anatomy, body autonomy, safe touch, unsafe touch, um, communicating boundaries, and then in upper grades that might be well, and grooming, especially nowadays, it's like mm -hmm. digital literacy, safety online. And then mm -hmm. in older years, it's, mm -hmm. you know, a lot more into like um, puberty education, um, healthy and healthy relationships, warning signs of relationship abuse, like all of those things are recommended by these international uh, organizations that came together to make these child protection policies. Um, Council for of International Schools is part of this, and they have some people that go to schools and deliver this. So that's sort of like, you know, that's the that's the umbrella of where of where sex ed is happening in international schools. On the ground from school to school, it's different from every single place that I know of. It's it's majority of times you you hear people teaching sex ed in schools, it's a health or PE teacher or a counselor or they have someone coming in from outside to deliver it, whether that's like, you know, one week and they deliver, um, you know, lessons to students or it's like coming throughout the year. Um, so that's sort of this, the state of it uh, in international schools. What I'm really interested to see um, in the coming years is how we look at sex ed as a uh, uh, diversity and inclusion um, mm -hmm. sort of element, right? So that to me is a beautiful place. It's not the only place that we should be seeing LGBTQ plus inclusion, but it's a beautiful place to start it. Mm -hmm. um, I'm thinking of, you know, when I teach puberty, I always want to teach about what's the difference between gender roles, gender identity, gender expression, sexual orientation, and then like the, mm -hmm. the sex that's assigned to us at birth before we start talking about like, okay, these are the types of changes that are going to happen to people with this type of body versus this type of body. Right. And we're, you know, learning about what's happening to us as we become adult bodies. So um, it, yeah, it's a great, it's a great place for us to be recognizing um, that aspect of inclusion um, in our schools. But mm -hmm. again, it's going to be um, sort of an uphill battle when you think about um, where the school is 
right? Geographically, culturally. Um, In my experience teaching in international schools, it's really, really common for people to say, oh, we have to be very careful about teaching sex ed because of our diverse community. It's like, well, we can't in one way celebrate our diverse community with our international celebrations <laughs> and then say, actually, say no, yeah. <laughs> I yeah. we're, we're not going to, we're not going to teach stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. and, and it's, and especially when you think of it as like, you know, we're including, we're, we're, we're allowing there to be a sort of representation of this tapestry of identities and experiences that right. people have. Like when we when we say that's not something we want to include in our school community, it's so limiting. So there are people that are doing that work. I listened to your episode with Emily Meadow. She's a great example of someone who's doing mm-hmm. that work in international schools. But I'm hoping to see a lot more of that and have that inclusion and sex ed piece sort of like come together. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's 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 the international scope of, of sex ed. But there's you know, U- United Nations has a stance on teaching sex ed. Like there's mm-hmm. a lot of people that there's a lot of support for people that are wanting to get this more off the ground in their schools. There's tons of support for. Yes, this should be everyone in the world should be able to learn about their bodies. Um, and, and it's an emotional thing. It's right. a cognitive thing. It's a physical thing when we're talking about that type of learning. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, I, as you're talking, I feel like it would be remiss of me to not mention that we are recording this episode only a couple days after Governor Greg Abbott of Texas has passed, or they're attempting mm-hmm. to pass um, mm-hmm. orders to make gender affirming therapy child abuse and and mm-hmm. kind of deploying the state. Um, attorney general to investigate those situations where parents are supporting gender affirming therapy as child abuse in the state of Texas. Where's uh, that shame bill? Doug. Right? Doug, 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 Doug shame bill. No, there's some also, there's yeah. a terrible bill getting passed in, in Florida right now as well. That's like, don't, you can't talk about. So yeah, not Florida. It's in, oh, I, it might be. I mean, listen, who knows in Florida? Um, Come on now. But, yeah. but there's, <laughs> it's in, um, oh my gosh, another of the states, it's the don't say gay bill. Yes. Um, I thought that was Florida. And it, and maybe wherever it, it is, terrible. I think that Wait, what's the don't say gay bill? I haven't seen so, this yet. So it is where teachers out. within 48 hours of finding out that one of their students is gay, they have to inform the parents within 48 hours. Um, also, law. Yeah, it's a snitching law, basically, yeah. well, it's that, an and that's why it's say, and that's why it's don't say gay. It's to yeah. students like don't say it to your school or your teachers mm-hmm. or your counselors because mm-hmm. legally, mm-hmm. Um, they if this bill is passed, I don't think that one has officially passed through the legislature. Yeah, uh, maybe I'm off base. I like also we're in the midst of um, the, mm-hmm. the Russia Ukraine war. Um, and so there's mm-hmm. just been a lot of things happening. Um, mm-hmm. We'll, we'll make sure the show notes are updated. But just like, I think, I, as you were talking, I realized we didn't create or set the, the context. Mm-hmm. Um, and also I think when we invited you onto the podcast, those laws hadn't been, yeah. really on the main stage yet yeah. so we're talking about U.S. versus abroad um, mm-hmm. and I just I think oftentimes we in the United States love to think that our educational systems and and our policies and curriculum and content is so much more progressive than certain cultures or mm-hmm. communities globally mm-hmm. and I just I just want to root us in the fact that that's just not the case, right? Like we yeah. are seeing policies, you said, where like geographically schools are located, mm-hmm. it's going to be different. And I'm thinking a school in Washington is going to look really different than a school in Texas. And, and you know, a school in Texas might look really different than yes. a school in Italy. Yeah. Yes, but it does. All schools are trying to navigate this yeah. landscape in really mm-hmm. turbulent times mm-hmm. um and yeah. so just as context that's where we're at uh, yeah historically <laughs> so you bring up a, a beautiful point about this the state of sex ed in the united states the fact that it is entirely based on the state 
and yeah. it's entirely right. based on yeah. it, it. It's so parallel in there. And some of the, I, I came up with my assignments that I wanted to share uh, at the end. And one <laughs> of them is this article by um, one of my favorite sort of like sex ed, health ed idols. Um, his name is Christopher Pepper. He's out of California. And he has written a piece about um, kind of comparing what has happened uh, with sex ed and the regulation of sex ed. I mean, there are like mm-hmm. seven states in the U.S. that don't allow you to mention or that have to that, that include like homophobic teaching in sex ed. There's like wow. a very less than half actually have to have sex ed be accurate, medically accurate. Like so the. the Yes. 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 You can teach. There there are states in the U.S. where you can teach medically inaccurate sex education. Right. So, (laughs) yes. Another shame bell, Doug. Another uh, shame bell. And we're not only just talking about. We're not even only talking about like the abstinence only programs that like really are like fear-based, shame-based, like that mean girls scene of like, don't have sex or you will die sort of stuff. We're also talking about like medically inaccurate. So like you're, if you teach about HIV and AIDS, then you're saying that it's like only people that are gay get it. Like really terrible messages. There should be like a trigger warning before I even said that statement, but that is the reality of what people are allowed to teach if they have to teach anything it doesn't like, yeah. So, um, in Washington, actually state of Washington, um, in 2020, they passed a bill saying that as of next school year, so for us, that'd be 2022, 23, um, -hmm. all schools have to be teaching medically accurate, um, sex ed, but you can still have parents have opt-outs. And I think in Washington's, they can opt out of like the HIV and AIDS education, which is like really quite, you know, and again, it of really, all the things to opt out, that yes, is the one, that that the one. I'm like, it really, I, I, I mean, I part of, I grew up conservative. So like, I understand in some ways, some people's come, you know, pressure around abstinence, whatever, whatever, yeah. but like you're out of the H, the HIV conversation, like the I STD. Know. And at least it's scary kids if you're going to go, I mean, just something. Yeah, actually, yeah. you know what? Like that, if you're going to opt out, like opt out of that, because in that child's lifetime, there's going to be like a vaccine for HIV anyways. They're already trialing it because of the like oh, technology from the COVID vaccine. Okay, okay. No, but true. still, I don't really want to miss any of it. Honestly, like I was <laughs> just reading an article, stigma. right? I was just reading an article where, yeah, like three men and the first woman have essentially been cured for a, a yeah, HIV. yeah. Medically techn- anyway, medical cool. technology, it's great. No, but so you can still, yeah, you can still opt out um, and and it doesn't have to be accurate. It can be really shame-based. It can be really stigma-based. And so, yeah. um, you know, there are states that are, are more leading the way, um, doing yeah. a really great job. Um, but again, oftentimes it's organizations that go into the school um, or health ed teachers, um, the like organization Shape America, which is like the organization for health education and NPE in, in the U.S. does a really great job of putting position papers out there. And they're, mm. they're actually, um, doing they're they're doing a great job looking starting to push social justice as an element of more so health education sometimes PE as well so there are people that are doing really great things but you're up against really similar stuff that's happening and this goes back to Chris Pepper's article really similar stuff that you're seeing with book banning with the critical race theory um, with the school board um, meetings in the U.S. where it's just the loudest people are saying like no we will not have this talk to our kids and and spewing because if you think about like most adults when you say what sex ed did you have as a kid you either didn't get any um or it was like super shame-based here's some scary pictures of symptomatic stds which probably weren't even actually pictures of that and that was and then it's like boom boom send you on your way don't do it and so and then there's always like everyone tells me about the traumatizing fifth grade video of of pregnancy like a miracle of life where you're like separated We do not yeah, need to have a fifth grader. Yeah. That. I didn't have oh, that, but people tell me about that one. <laughs> huh. Yes, I remember that. My mom was a midwife. I saw babies yeah. coming out like yeah. way early. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, shock you? Absolutely. Was I, I you mentioned at the beginning, like when talking mm. about like your background, you kept mentioning this idea of safeguarding, and mm. I think that that is that's the cornerstone of what I believe 
sex education should be and what it should be about and yeah. why there is a necessity. Um, and you kind of alluded to what that is. Can you give a more clear definition for the listeners of like, what do you mean by child safeguarding? What does that look yeah. like across ages, right? Yeah. So like, what does that look like in a kindergarten classroom versus mm. an 11th grade classroom, right? Mm. And and so like defining that more clearly about what mm. that is and grounding that for listeners that have never heard that phrase before. Yeah, I mean, I wanted I wanted to define it by like giving you a, a, a more unpacked definition of relationship and sex education. So I'll try to do both if that's okay. Yeah. Um, to me, the first thing I think about when I think about child protection and safeguarding is like body autonomy, right? Like I am in charge of my body and I'm the only one that gets yeah. to decide what happens to my body, um, whether that's who can and can't touch it um, and in what context, um, what I do with it, who I get to be with my body, how I get to express myself with my body. And so I think that that to me is like, that. that's where I think of when I think of child safeguarding and protection. I mean, um, you know, that could be, and <clears throat> in, in schools, oftentimes we think of it as just like recognizing the signs of abuse and different types of abuse. And we right. think of it as like that's happening outside of the school, but in reality, it's stuff that it's it's it could be happening anywhere. It could be peer to peer. It could be adult yeah. to child. So yeah, safeguarding of like this is me, and I get to be in charge of me entirely. So when you think of that from like an education standpoint, again with relationships and sex ed, I put the relationships before it because that's sort of what like industry leaders are doing because it's not just yeah, again like fighting against what we as yeah. adults it received ourselves or what we might think of yeah. sex ed. Um, some people it's like the acronym is, can be switched around depending on where you're from geographically, either sex and relationship ed or relationship and sex ed. But yeah, again, young, we're learning safe touch, unsafe touch. Um, you know, what are, what are parts of our body that are only ours to touch or only ours or only um, parts that should be touched by uh, a doctor or a parent, that sort of thing. Private parts is kind of like the way a lot of people would word that. But then uh, as you start getting older, it's yeah, like healthy. What's the difference between liking and loving? What's the difference between a friend and a romantic partner? Yeah. Um, all of the, um, you know, characteristics that we want in relationships versus ones that are either characteristics of unhealthy or maybe even warning signs of abusive relationships. And I think that's really important because, um, you know, we, we want to teach kids that before they get into these types of relationships, yep. especially nowadays with the extra complication of technology. Yep. Um, you know, oh, they're, they're, they're starting to talk to people that maybe they've never met in person, or yeah. there's the risk that they're getting groomed. There's just, there's so much extra. And I try to talk to my, whenever I talk to students about this, I try to talk to them, like, it's not, like, oh, that wasn't the way that it was when I was your age, but it's like, wow, that's just, that's so much extra. That's so yeah, much yeah. more. Right. And so doesn't that make it more important for us to like talk about this and have you learn about these things? Mm -hmm. um, what sort of boundaries do you want to have? How do you communicate those boundaries? Right. Yep. So would you, would you, would you say, I'm interrupt raising my hand. Um, <laughs> teacher, when you're yes. asking, know, teacher, please, yeah. teacher. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm thinking about, so everything you're describing to me seems mm -hmm. very fitting for all grade levels, but your yes. part of what you're describing is also, that's appropriate to have conversations in elementary about oh, for you sure. prior to when kids are really getting into more oh, serious sure. relationships, yeah. which in my yeah. mind, for me, I think middle school and high school is where yeah. those kind of manifest. I don't know if that's true or not, but yeah. so you're saying like, this can happen early and we can have healthy, appropriate yes. third grade level yeah. conversations yes. that aren't submitted weird agenda yes. that aren't you know, upsetting or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I think what I want, what this made me think of that I just want to sort of plug here as well is puberty education typically starts happening in fourth or fifth grade from a, mm -hmm. from the national sex ed standards from the U S it's by the end of fifth grade, they should know. And it's everything from the difference between gender identity and biological sex. Um, and it's all the changes that happen to you during puberty. Um, and even um, some of the like understanding what a sexually transmitted infection or what HIV is actually is yeah. before the age of fifth grade, um, before the end, excuse me, of fifth grade, um, per the U.S. standards. Um, the U.N. sort of mirrors that as well, though. So um, one thing that I want to say about that age group is that 
again, back in the day when we all went through this sort of thing, it's hot. It's, it's more than likely that you had a day at school where all the girls were in one room and all the boys were in another. Right. Um, nowadays, organizations that work in sex ed and, 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 um, and sort of either curriculums or, or uh, advocacy, they, they advocate for not separating. Right. So we don't, we don't take all the people that outwardly supposedly are this gender or that gender. I remember that day in, in middle school, I remember sitting there being like, what are the boys learning about? (laughs) Right. Because you don't know. And it's more of a mystery. (laughs) Right. And then you're like more distracted by what someone else is learning. And the conversations I hear about what happens in the boys room is so different. than what happens. It is. But to me, leads to a lot of unhealthy later. Right. Exactly. It's the first time we do this us versus them. Right. We separate and say, like, this is only for you and that is only for you. When in reality, like we should all know. And if you think about those laws that are happening in Texas, if now if you think about um, any of the like anti-choice, anti-abortion legislation, it just goes back to like, did you learn about the type of body that is not your type of body? Did you learn about what it means to have a uterus and what reproduction actually does? Like how it actually happens. Legislators that are making the decisions about a woman's body never learned about a woman's body. Correct. And I like a body with a uterus, right? A body with a uterus. Yeah. 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 Like, so it's absolutely. And I just think, um, there is such a binary idea of what sex education is for Mm -hmm. like parents, right? That Mm -hmm. this is because of what they experience. They think that that's what Mm -hmm. sex education is. And so then when there are conversations about younger ages receiving Mm -hmm. that education, they're Mm -hmm. automatically thinking like, oh, the, the anonymous questions when we were separated into boys versus girls of like those anonymous questions, they could ask the male teacher, um, Mm -hmm. Right. Those are going to be asked in front of kindergartners and I don't want my kid, yeah. but it's like, yeah, yeah what like the? sex education. I love that you were like um, puberty, right? It's different. That's part of sex education, learning about yeah. puberty and the, how the body changes from child to adult and all of that. But the yeah. body autonomy is significant and body autonomy mm-hmm. can start from toddler, right? Mm-hmm. Like you can begin to teach your toddler, your two-year-old, your three-year-old about mm-hmm. body autonomy and how they mm-hmm. have ownership over themselves and their body. And I get really passionate. I get it. Like I get passionate about this because I very <laughs> much believe in it. Um, I was working Me at the too. Y, right? I was working at the Y in like 2013, 2014. And I can say as I was um, the director of five locations, teen camps, summer camps, yeah. but also was with the directors that were leading the elementary age and younger camps. And I will tell you, they the Y was ahead of its time in this these conversations. Every single day we were required to have an age appropriate conversation about body autonomy and abuse. Like in yeah. the middle school and high school, um, we had, we taught about the five different types of abuse. What does it look like? Mm-hmm. What does it sound mm-hmm. like? What does it feel like? What can mm-hmm. you do if you're experiencing it? Mm-hmm. Um, Are you teaching younger, this to the, to the kids? To the kids. Every Not single- Not just like staff? Staff are trained on how to have those conversations with the kids. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then- I know in the younger age, they are taught about body autonomy. Like they had a, um, a child, a kindergarten friendly graph or mm-hmm. a chart that mm-hmm. they would use to teach them about how like that's your body and mm-hmm. your choice. And mm-hmm. they did teach them about the no-no square and mm-hmm. like, like, hey, don't touch me there. That is my yeah. no-no square. Yeah. And, and right. And so it's like, I think people think it's all one size fits all. We're not, they weren't mm-hmm. teaching kindergartners about the five different types of abuse, but they were teaching kindergartners about mm-hmm. like body autonomy. And mm-hmm. that's, it's so necessary. Mm-hmm. Another, like, also you don't keep secrets. You can teach toddlers and mm-hmm. kindergartners that you don't keep secrets with other people. Like that, that not that word shouldn't be in your vocabulary with your younger kids, right? Because Mm -hmm. that's with big brothers, big sisters. That was a huge thing Mm -hmm. when I worked there is like, that shouldn't be in the vocabulary. And you teach kids that too, is like, if an adult ever asks you to keep a secret, like that's not okay. We don't have secrets. And like, 
anyways, so I could talk about, yeah. Mm -hmm. So you take that just like a little bit, a little bit older, you know, and you look at like middle school age and those same things apply, but then you're up against like there, they have a little bit more social pressure. So how do you communicate to someone that not only like what your boundary is, but then like how to, um, practice, actually practice and use refusal skills. No, I'm not okay with that. I don't want to, because they, they are starting at the age of being, having a lot of peer pressure. Right. right? And so, and then you go into older years and that is like negotiating safer sex practices. And what does it mean to say, like, to talk about testing, to talk about condom use, to talk about, um, you know, making sure you both feel safe and comfortable because that actually leads to it being a better experience for both people. And so there's so, yeah, yeah, there's so much that can be taught and that should be taught. And again, it's, it's, it's not just that, um, I think, I don't know. I feel like child safeguarding, we often think about it as being those younger kids, like you're talking about like elementary school age. And then we kind of like stop and it's, it's violence prevention. There's, there's tons of suggestions and research saying that it will reduce the risk of uh, sexual assault on college campuses if students learn all of these things in high school, right? So there's, yeah, there's so many reasons to um, advocate for this to be happening and to to work on making sure that more people get, thankfully, I mean, the internet has done two things. It's made sexual content be seen at younger ages, but at the same time, it's meant that kids can access um, learning around Mm-hmm. sexual education, safer sex, sexual health in a way that like we couldn't when I was coming up yeah. through high school. Right. So, yeah. but then what's true and what's not, what's misinformation and disinformation versus medically accurate. So that media literacy piece has to come into play as well. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think yeah. focusing also on physical and, and emotional pot in like age appropriate common sense ways, right? Like, yeah like having there are physical boundaries but also teaching I love that you said like teaching liking versus loving what does that mean right mm-hmm. what is a healthy relationship versus an unhealthy relationship and mm-hmm. and for middle schoolers that's romantic and friendship relationships yeah. like what does that look like how do you mm-hmm. set those boundaries and yeah um I just think that there's so much room we talk a lot about social emotional learning mm-hmm. that's like become a buzzword through COVID at least in the the U.S. Mm-hmm. I just think that this is this is it, right? Like this is the cornerstone of that social emotional. Oh, for sure. You take the castle SEL competencies, responsible decision-making, self-awareness, social skills, Mm -hmm. self-management, like that, those are that like this sex ed and those perfectly overlap, right? Absolutely. Um, Accessing accurate, medically accurate information to make decisions about your health. Like that is, that's SEL for sure. Yeah. So can we keep coming back to the medically accurate? Because I just, if I had a highlighter, I would just highlight that. Yeah. Um, And that, that, that is actually a really important way. I think to frame sex ed from to, to, to frame sex ed when you're, when you're up against that, like we can't teach this because of our culture, because of our diversity, right. Mm -hmm. People that are, are hesitant to teach sex ed. Well, it's like, this is medical information and you can always, you can always layer that value um, and, and cultural piece in there, right? Yeah. This, this is fact. And then you get to decide what you want to do with it, right? Yeah. Like yeah. teach birth control methods. And it's like the, one of my first slides is like, there are tons of different values and religious beliefs about birth control, right? About contraceptive yeah. methods and who believes that they want to use a, a, a method besides abstinence and people that don't you get to decide here's the facts yeah. about what these things yeah. are. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So yeah. I think it's a, a, we, we can allow there to be a, a value-based sort of like individual uh, reception of these things if we frame it correctly. Absolutely. Yeah. I love um, your reconciliation of those two things. Cause that's actually part of another question we'll ask a little bit yeah. more later as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you take a quick break. Yeah, yeah. I was about to say, we Our really got, got into it. We, this first <laughs> half of the episode is more like three fourths of the episode. We really got into it. Let's take a break <laughs> and then come back and we'll finish up the conversation. All right. Hello, I'm Evelyn Lopez, host of the channel two, five, three podcast crossing division. This episode of Channel 253 is sponsored by Microsoft. Microsoft is proud to support Rainier Scholars. Rainier Scholars believes that all students deserve an equal opportunity to excel academically and become our next community and business leaders. And now 
they're in the 253. Rainier Scholars Tacoma is a long-term college readiness program for underrepresented students of color in the Tacoma community. They recruit in the fourth grade, start working with students and families the summer before fifth grade, and walk alongside them through college completion with the goal of graduating with minimal debt. Do you know a student who should be part of the first Tacoma cohort? Recruitment is now underway. Microsoft and Rainier Scholars share the desire to cultivate a growth mindset and believe every student deserves the opportunity to achieve more. To find out more about Rainier Scholars in Tacoma, visit rainierscholars.org and click Tacoma. My thanks to Microsoft for their support of Channel 253 and Rainier Scholars. I'm so sorry. Welcome back, listeners. Uh, (laughs) Please become a subscribing member of Channel 253 for this kind of phenomenal content and also a sweet Slack channel where you learn a lot all the time about everything from food to politics to, I don't know, travel, all kinds of things. So please go to follow the link on our show notes, $4 a month, and become a subscribing member. Thanks to all our listeners who already are members. Thanks. Okay, there's so much um, still going on here, but um, I think you kind of answered a little bit towards the end um, before the break. You kind of started hinting at this, like the way that you address pushback. And I guess my, like in my mind, I kind of think about the world divided in schools and international schools divided up, you know, every place is geographically different, culturally different, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but in my mind, I still have, maybe it's a bias um, thinking about it, but in my mind, I, I picture like, these are more conservative regions. These are more liberal regions. These are more progressive. Mm-hmm. And, and I think in my mind, I think about Europe as a much more like open progressive in terms of whether it's tech policies or, but mm-hmm. even, even child protection, um, child protection policies are much more mm-hmm. stringent. So they're much more mm-hmm. aware of that stuff. And then like mm-hmm. just the relationship to relationships and sex and openness and, you know, media and all that stuff. So I have kind of this bias that it's like a very open to all these kinds of things in sex mm-hmm. education. Would you say that that's kind of, um, the, that it is, the world is divided up a little bit like that, or do you think it's much more nuanced than that? I think that we, I, I think that wh- how you're saying that, that bias exists for yourself, I think that that exists for other people as well, right? We assume certain areas or certain places are more open-minded, um, but I think it's more nuanced because especially, I don't know, I'm coming from an international school then. So like we have kids from our, at our school he, like here in Europe that are from the Middle East, right? Mm-hmm. Or we have kids who are from here, but their families are incredibly um, religious and conservative. So I think it just depends on, uh, yeah, it's much more nuanced than that. Um, but it, again, it's like, if we don't have, we don't have, well, it's possible that parents come in and say, I want to see your math curriculum, right? Show me your, show me your math curriculum. But that is some of the more um, common pushback from a sex ed standpoint. I want to see it. I want to see it and know what you're teaching. And so um, that's, that to me is, is the first step uh, in, in the first form of contact that a parent might have. Like, I want to see it. Is it abstinence-based? And I want, to, I want to see the curriculum. Um, so that's where like having it be based on either national standards or international standards, the UN framework is a great place to go for that. Um, having it be rooted in and supported by those international safeguarding protection um, yeah. policies. You're like it's not uh, me, it's the UN. It, yeah, <laughs> the this, this, yeah, this, this international... Yeah, the International Task Force for Child Protection actually yeah. says that kids should learn this, and this is what they should yeah. learn at different ages. And so, you know, I most of my work has been um, following or, or really borrowing from the Advocates for Youth um, sex ed curriculum. And so, to be able to point back and say, like, these are like research based age and developmental stage standards that these other people who work in these fields and have all come together and said, this is what students should be learning. And again, going back to like, it's fact-based, it's medically accurate. This is for them to um, decide on. Mm -hmm. Uh, At the same time, the health ed lens that I'm coming from 
with very like us based, um, approach is, is skill-based. And so like skill-based sex ed is going to freak some people out. <laughs> They're like, yeah, what's huh? an example of that? What would be some <laughs> Okay. So your, your, your skills would be like interpersonal communication, right? So can you practice in class? what those consent conversations would be, right? Um, Accessing information. Can you practice actually accessing information about sexual health? So like I have an activity where the kids have to like research a change of puberty and like look at whether the the website that they're getting it from is accurate. Can they trust it? Um, Decision-making is a skill, right? So like, Mm -hmm. can you follow a decision-making model? And um, I use that often with grade eight students where it's like, here's a scenario, like what, how would you make the decision about this scenario? Mm -hmm. And it's hard for kids because their brain is developing that skill. And they're like, they usually are like, just blurt out what they would do. And it's like, hold up, let's talk about all the possible options, all the possible consequences. Which one do you feel like you could handle the best? Um, so giving the skill-based meaning, like we're going to make it as, as, as relevant and as real world as we can Mm -hmm. and allow you to think about what you would actually do in scenarios or in situations. Mm -hmm. What, how do you, like, what, what would you want to ask before you ever were in a relationship with someone where there was sexual activity? This is, you know, you're, you're talking to students that are eighth grade or above about those sorts of questions, um, and allowing people to, Yes, it's factual. Yes, it's medically accurate. But like, how would you actually apply this stuff in your life if you would? Maybe you never will, right? Some people never have sexual relationships, or maybe you know you're going to get married before you ever do this. And when you say that out loud, that's validating that person's experience as well, Mm -hmm. Um, which again, is super important in that international context or just in a, you know, diverse student classroom. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. At the top of this, you mentioned um, when you think about this work and the role of diversity, equity, inclusion, you kind of talked a little bit about this and and just now talking about the idea of inclusion of values and different points of views that kids are coming with. Um, What are those other things you would love to see happen? What is some of the work that you think is happening around Mm. DEIJ or DEIB that you find um, really hopeful or promising? Um, Mm -hmm. Either you can go the positive or the negative and then the positive or the positive and the negative. It's up to you. (laughs) Oh man, I mean, in a in a in in my ideal world, <laughs> everyone receives this information and we hold each other accountable to it. And what I mean by that is like the 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 first thing that comes out in my mind with a justice aspect of sex ed is um access to reproductive health care and and um violence prevention, right? So being able to um, ensure that people don't just know these things, but they can actually access the sexual health care. And whether that's, um, you know, because they want to practice safer sex and get regularly tested, which we all now know from COVID, right? Exactly what safer sex means. You get tested, even if you're asymptomatic, you wear a mask to reduce your, <laughs> right? We all know that. It's great. It's so great. I haven't so had great. anyone say that direct, oh, explicitly It's so yet. fantastic. So. I stood in front of a group of grade 12s a few weeks ago, and I was like, listen, you guys all know how to practice safer sex already, right? Like, <laughs> Get tested regularly. You only know your status if you have a test result. Um, yeah, so being able to access the things that you actually need to take care of your sexual and reproductive health. To me, that's a a big aspect of justice. And I think we can't get to that point unless we're learning Mm -hmm. about what these things actually mean, right? So um, what does it Mm -hmm. actually mean to um, have someone get pregnant? What does it actually mean for that person to make the choice whether they want to keep that pregnancy or not? Like we can't get to the point where we can access and everybody has the type of healthcare that they want until we learn about it first. And I think that was kind of like a rambling answer. I hope that I answered that question. Yeah, that was good. (laughs) Um, It makes me think of, um, I've just been in my civil liberties, civil rights unit with my students Mm -hmm. and um, the Miranda v. Arizona Supreme Court case of the Supreme Court said that people don't have access to their rights unless they know about them, which is why we have the Miranda rights. Like police officers, when they are arresting you, have to read you your Miranda rights. And it's literally Mm -hmm. because the Supreme Court ruled that Mm -hmm. constitutionally, somebody does not have access to that unless Mm -hmm. they know about it. And it's just, it's -hmm. just as though they do not have that right if they are not aware of it. And so like what you're saying is like knowledge about access, knowledge about what is available 
-hmm. Like people don't have, even if it's available to them, if they don't Mm -hmm. know about it, it's as though it's not available to them. Yeah. It's as though it's not accessible. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So knowledge is the foundation. Yeah. One of the ways that, um, one of the many things that the anti-choice movement has done over the past couple of decades is um, put more and more crisis pregnancy centers around specifically the U.S., right? So you mm-hmm. have someone who um, finds out they're pregnant or they think that they're pregnant and they don't know what to do about it. And they go to this crisis pregnancy center and those centers are not, here's your medically accurate for you again, Hope. Those centers are not legally obligated yeah. to give medically accurate yeah. information and they're not obligated to have yeah. medically licensed yeah. people to be dispensing information. Yeah. So again, you're, you're like giving misinformation to somebody who really needs uh, more support under the like sort of guide that you are giving them something that they need. So yeah, you, you don't know about it. Uh, you don't know where to get it unless you know about it. And how can we make sure that people are getting the correct medically accurate information instead? Yeah, I yeah. think mm-hmm. um, yeah. you you look at where the oppressors are focusing their energy and attention, and that mm-hmm. that is your sign of what the key to the solution is, right? Mm-hmm. And so right now we're <laughs> seeing huge attacks on um, on education, right, mm-hmm. in, in all areas, but specifically, you know, like you just said, this area. So listen, mm-hmm. the people that are trying to oppress wouldn't be focusing on it if it wasn't the solution, right? If it yeah. wasn't best practice, they wouldn't be yeah. putting yeah. time, energy, and money into it if yeah. it didn't matter. And so to me, I'm like, oh, this matters, right? Like mm-hmm. focus your attention there. Mm-hmm. I agree. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You mentioned um, also at the beginning, and I, and I don't know if you want to talk more about this, just kind of the role of conversations <laughs> around um, LGBTQ plus students mm-hmm. and kind of that, um, an aspect of that conversation. I don't even know how to ask this question, but <laughs> I know that you're passionate about this as part of the conversation about yes. health, sex, and relationship. Would you say rate relationship and sex education? There yes. we go. Relationship first. <laughs> um, can you talk more about that? What are you seeing that is, I think, again, hopeful or being done? Or what yeah. are some things that you're seeing that aren't that we need to consider yeah. addressing? Yeah. I think um, the first thing that I think about is, is um, sex education should be taught by someone who is trained. Uh, you hear stories about like teachers that have no training in health ed or just because I am a male identifying person, I'm, I'm going to take that Shame group of boys. Out. Shame. <laughs> what? Out. Like, yes. but truly, like, I, I, how many PE teachers yeah. that are yes. coaches yeah. that are like given the yeah. course? Yeah. Because- <laughs> yeah. yeah. Actually, There's- a sub question I had was like, who is your ideal person <laughs> to teach these courses? Is it really a PE teacher or is it somebody else? Anyway, a counselor. It, I mean, somebody- they have to be trained. Like, I, I yeah, currently okay. teach PE, but this is more of my like specialty, right? So I yes. think that it really has to be, it's dependent on the person, right? Is it somebody who can do all the nuance, right? Because a lot of the LGBTQ plus inclusion in a sex ed classroom. It has to do with nuance, right? I'm going to talk about people that are in a relationship. I'm not going to talk about boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife. I might use, I would never use husband and wife, but I might use the words boyfriend and girlfriend, but I would include a or romantic partner, right? Like the person that you are with, because you don't want to be saying that it's only sex is not just penis and vagina, right? Sex Mm -hmm. is two or more people coming together to, to exchange pleasure, to um, interact with each other's bodies. And you keep it really open so that you're allowing that the student that's sitting in your classroom, who is like, wait, I don't, I'm not attracted to the opposite gender, or maybe I don't feel like I fit into that binary. Right. So you're, you're trying, you have to paint this picture that is as as inclusive as possible. And that does take a lot of nuance and it does take a lot of practice. And I actually, I give students the anonymous question box thing you mentioned earlier. I give students a post-it note and they write a comment, a question, or a piece of feedback for me at the end of the lesson. So when I plug the fact that like, depending on how long I'm teaching kids, I always make sure to plug, like, I'm going to do my best. I'm an ally. I'm going to do my best to make this as inclusive as possible. If I do it wrong, if I don't, if you don't feel like I capture what you need, right. Tell me. And it's anonymous. So they can say like, yes, it did. Or next time, can you do that? And, uh, or something different. 
Um, so it has to be someone that's trained to deliver that information who actually knows who's checked their own bias, right? Like, I'm not going to stand up there and be like, Oh my God, this is so embarrassing. I'm going to embarrass you now. No, this is great. This is really important information for you to know. Right. And thankfully I'm really excited to be here and and share it with you. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, Someone who's trained, someone who is is understanding of why all of that is important, I think is mm. like the what, what I would like to see happen from an LGBTQ plus. And I think uh, Emily Meadows referenced that in the episode yeah. that you guys had with her, like, make sure you hire a professional to do these things. Yeah. Don't just yeah. fill the gap. Oh, we need to teach puberty ed. So the yep. female counselor is going to take these people and the male counselor is going to take these people. Right. What if they don't know much about the other gender, the other biological sex? Like, how are you making sure that they are the best suited to deliver that information? Yeah. And I, I just um, like no, no shade to PE teachers, because I actually know a, like a couple amazing PE teachers. I, I just think I think of our like a lot of our PE teachers are like PE teachers because they're coaches. Um, yes. Yes. I think of one that I used to work with that was a math teacher and then a PE teacher and then would say stuff like don't run like a girl in class yes. I would hear from kids so like, who had and I just PE. think of that I just think of no. like what you said there at the end you can be medically correct you can be yeah. teaching medically accurate information but if you teach it in a way that instills mm-hmm. shame mm-hmm. that instills embarrassment mm-hmm. that instills like discomfort around mm-hmm. your own body or sex or like romantic relationships. Like for me, that is more harmful than yeah. anything, right? Like to yeah. sit in a sex education or relationship in sex education class and have the person that is administering it be embarrassed about the mm-hmm. content. Like mm-hmm. that's damaging. Mm-hmm. Like it's- You know what happens? Ki- kids can pick up on it. Kids Absolutely. can pick up on the fact that you're uncomfortable. And so what they do is then they ask more embarrassed. I've had multiple, <laughs> I've had multiple kids tell me this, that they, I ha- actually had a student recently. And when I was, did a sex ed session, he was like, going to ask me an embarrassing question. And he told me that because I asked, I answered an earlier question. Well, he wasn't going to ask all the questions that he had oh, come in with prepared to like try to stump me. Right. Yep. Yeah. They, they're like, oh, we just asked that question to, because we wanted the teacher to have to answer it. Cause we thought yep. it would be funny. Yep. Right. So yeah, they can yeah. pick up on the fact that you're not comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. You seem very even keel. And so that was actually one of the things I was thinking about was like, what's the most uncomfortable question? And did you just like keep a straight face? Like, do you oh, yeah. yourself? For oh all yeah. These things, well, man? Like, my, my like reproductive, <laughs> yeah, my reproductive healthcare background. I'm like, I've yeah. seen it all. I've seen it yeah. all. Like nothing you can do can stump me, but I will say the funniest question I ever got from a fifth grader, this is years ago too. Um, puberty, puberty ed sessions. He asked me, um, does Harry Potter have a penis? If so, is it big? (laughs) (laughs) And then he went on to ask me like three or four more Harry Potter characters. Does Malfoy have a penis? And if so, is it big? (laughs) Just like went on. I didn't know all the, I didn't know all the Harry Potter backstory (laughs) here that we need to have a conversation about. He was a super curious kid, right? I mean, like truly, we, like that's how yeah. he's accessing the yeah. like, the content. Oh, yeah. I mean, and and if we if we encourage kids to be curious in some subjects, we can't not encourage them to be curious in others. Did right? you answer? Like, I don't know. Is that what you? How do you answer that? <laughs> I think I I think I said so something you should about send a like, letter to J.K. Rowling. I think I think I said something about you know don't don't even get started about that. <laughs> I think I said something about like base like we right. like it, he uses term. Harry Potter good uses he pronouns we can we can get like I, I think his biological I don't know I said something about biological sex and gender identity because I was trying to like, like make it so medical that. and yeah yeah like a boring yeah. answer that's like what a wonderful oh, answer though like. The well, male I think pronouns I, and the, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And like, you can't always assume what someone's anatomy is just based on their gender identity or something like that. That's usually mm-hmm. like a, you know, you got to like reinforce what you've been teaching the way you answer their questions. <laughs> right? This is and why this you is why take it and I... <laughs> 
podcast. <laughs> right? This is why you consult on this what work. What a fantastic answer. Yeah, yeah. It um, takes, I mean, it takes practice, but you you really break down like all questions fit into certain categories. Do they want to be normalized? Do they want to shock you? Mm-hmm. Do they want, are they just curious, right? So yep. it all goes back to those. Yeah. Hmm. Awesome. Yeah. There's so many things we talk about. Um, oh, <laughs> I, like, all I'm going to do is now have you back on the podcast. Yeah, now I'm like, what's solely the- focused on questions that you have uh, <laughs> been asked and and you know, like right? like tips for parents of like how yeah. can you reinforce yeah. I honestly actually think that that would be a really okay, fantastic episode yeah, right? for us to do where you come on and you just kind of give um advice for how do you handle this in uh, your home yeah. with your kid your own kids and yeah anyways I think that that could actually be a really interesting episode oh, I would love it yeah, yeah. I think it is different for me to answer a kid's question than for their parents to, you know, mm-hmm. so I recognize that whenever I've talked yeah. to parents, I'm like, you have a completely different dynamic with them than I Absolutely. do, you know, yeah. but for yeah. sure. <laughs> um, let's go really fast. Champagne and real pain. Champagne for my real friends, real pain for my champ friends. So any shout outs to organizations? I know you mentioned a few in the podcast, but any yeah. people, um, organizations, or just whether it's related to this topic or otherwise, you just want to give some shout out and credit to. Um, Megan, same goes to you. I just, anyone who's advocating for for the expansion of relationship and sex education, um, there there's people all, all over the world fighting for this cause and, and I yeah. applaud their work um, every day. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I know that there was a huge demonstration in Austin um, against the policies that Greg Abbott is um, installing in the state of Texas. Mm -hmm. And so just to all the Texans that don't prescribe to Mm -hmm. um, these really oppressive laws and policies that politicians Mm -hmm. are putting into place there, I'm also, you know, thinking of the heartbeat bill that we did an episode about um, Mm -hmm. there as well. But um, all the people that are fighting the good fight in Texas, yeah. especially Texas right now that, you know, it's not the entire state, everybody, mm-hmm. it is not even close to the entire state that, that mm-hmm. believe these policies. I think it's actually a really small percentage of people that yeah. live there. And so all those yeah. people that are trying to organize and fight against it. They just happen to yeah, be I mean, really loud, you know? Uh, yeah. They, yeah. They're very yeah. loud. Well, and that's the real pain, right? Real pain to all those people who are mm-hmm. digging up something instead of minding their own business slash making mm-hmm. things worse for everybody else. Yeah. Um, and I feel like there's so many other world issues we can call real pain on, um, whether we're talking about oh. Ukraine or Russia. I mean, which I, I know is going to be different like tomorrow, let alone when this podcast yeah. episode gets released. Um, mm-hmm. Plus numerous, numerous other things. Um, anything else for champagne or real pain? Um, mm-hmm. I mean, you did mention the Russia-Ukraine war it's february 27th right now for everybody that we're recording Mm -hmm. this and just um you know it's horrible and horrific but also there have been just incredible shows of humanity throughout that Mm -hmm. and um so like a champagne a recognition of that that it's not just incredible humanity in ukraine but around the world and and the neighboring countries that are taking in like hundreds Mm -hmm. of thousands of refugees i think Last night, last I checked, it was the number was up to 358,000 Ukrainian refugees that had been accepted into neighboring um, countries. And so just the outpouring of support that's happening. Mm. Yeah. All right, final segment. Do your fudging homework. Interchangeable. White ladies. All right. So, what homework do we have for our listeners today? Um, I actually have two. So I thought about this from like an international school and then a local U.S. school. Um, I have an article by Susie March, who's a CIS affiliate uh, consultant that I'd love to share about building effective um, relationship and sex ed programs. And then um, the it's from Greater Good Brook, uh, excuse me, Greater Good Berkeley uh, and Chris Pepper's article I mentioned earlier as well, where he kind of compares what's happening with book bannings and CRT with what's happened with sex ed. Awesome. We will link to those in the show notes. Megs, any homework? Um, That's a good question. Um, I think going and looking into what you can do from afar um, for this 
um, new policy that Greg Abbott is is creating in Texas, there are some things, there's some great articles that I'll link in the show notes for steps that you can take even if you're not a citizen of Texas, but also we mentioned other policies and laws that are being passed around the country that um, contact your members of Congress, right? Like if Congress passes mm-hmm. laws that create protections for the LGBTQ plus community, especially adolescents, then states can't create their own policies that take those rights away. So um, putting pressure on your congressional members that we need to see policies that protect these um, these children on a federal mm-hmm. level so that we don't have to continuously see states um, march back human rights in, in the mm-hmm. country. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think for me, um, I was thinking about two things. One, I know I'm gonna work on, so I think everybody else should too. <laughs> as homework it's just like you mentioned language and the power of language and so the idea of relationship and sex education and so just shifting my own conversations and language around it um and then also i think even in washington state um there's still a lot of yes fake drama like about perception about some of the standards that are in elementary schools and there's a lot of folks on the right who are just like saying that all this crazy stuff is happening with little kids and it's just not. So I, I think not. one of the things um, I would love for listeners, especially those of you in Washington and, and wherever your state is or wherever you're listening from, like listen to what is the local narrative, become mm-hmm. informed on what the conversation is, but actually what is true. So you can not fact check your cousin, but also like offer mm-hmm. something that But is, also fact check your cousin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, that is more accurate and just put, and push back against some of that <clears throat> nonsense because it's just really fake panic. Yeah, most school districts, most school districts or even like state department of education websites will list exactly what is taught from a sex ed standpoint. So it's it's available. It's an invisible (laughs) cameras in classrooms, guys. Invisible ink, you all. It's the only way. All right. It's the only way. (laughs) Emily's like, I'm done with you all. Emily, thank you so much for taking (laughs) time uh, in the middle of your meeting, actually, um, and coming to hang out with us and talking. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Bye. Channel 253 is supported by Microsoft. Microsoft is committed to civic conversations like those on Channel 253 that inform and empower Washington communities. To learn more, visit aka.ms slash Microsoft in Washington. Um, Doug, you have the shame bell because I think we might need it this episode. I know we didn't use it last I episode. I do have it. The Interchangeable White Ladies podcast is part of the Channel 253 network. Check out our other shows, Nerd Farmer, Citizen Tacoma, Crossing Division, Flounder's B-Team, We Art Tacoma, and What Say You? This is Channel 253.